0: Welcome to the Ark Insider, the podcast that offers informal, Africa focused conversation and intelligent insights. My name's Karen Allen, and I'm speaking to you from Johannesburg with Tara O'Connor, the Managing Director of ARC, oh, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm, Africa Risk Consulting. Joining me from London. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. You're on lockdown in London. The last time we spoke about a week ago, as well as being highly productive on the work front, you were honing your baking skills. How's that working out for you?
1: <laughs> well I've actually for the first time ever decided that I'm going to use lockdown to try and make um, bake bread and to make my own sourdough starter and when I started out I had no idea that of what this actually involves and it's a whole series of things so it actually took me about three days to make the sourdough starter to begin with and now there's this whole uh, whole ritual of nurturing You're it. You're making
0: me drool at the thought of it. I I can feel a recipe uh, requirement coming up on, on the website when we finally get that set up. In South Africa, we're obviously not allowed to go out for daily walks Tara. So in my neighbourhood, in an effort to get some fresh air and a little bit of human contact, albeit at a safe distance, we've taken to appearing on the doorstep at seven o'clock each night and singing a rendition of Mkosi Sikilele Africa, of course, the national, Afri- and the national anthem as a tribute to essential workers. A little bit like what you're doing for the NHS in the UK and I I don't know how you feel but it's I get really moved it's a really wonderful way of bringing people together and reflecting that sense of Ubuntu or, or brotherhood that's such an important part of the culture here.
1: And here, you know, we have lived in very sort of uh, isolated ways for such a long time that actually everybody coming out onto their doorsteps and banging pots or pans. Um, I have met neighbours that I didn't know um, before. And it's, as you say, very, very moving
0: we also need to keep some sort of perspective, don't we? Because our own experience of restrictive freedoms and personal discomfort really pale into insignificant when you consider the millions who live in in informal settlements across the continent, who don't have the privilege of of social distancing, when we're gonna talk a bit about that a little bit later on. First though, a brief look at the week that was Corona.
1: Few moments that the Prime Minister has been taken to hospital. Our political editor Beth Rigby, Let's not go back to Malawi, where that country now. has become the latest
2: uh, African the... country to record cases of the coronavirus. We've asked Malawian journalists. Spain journalist has just Dan
1: recorded a record jump in daily deaths from coronavirus anywhere in the world. 950 people, as we've been saying, have died in the past 24 hours, bringing the toll there to more than 10,000. From yesterday's numbers, those are the last figures that came through. South Africa's confirmed COVID 19 cases standing at 1,585 Very,
0: very sobering Now Tara you've been producing a chronology of events across Africa linked to the virus it's a superbly useful tool what's really stood out for me has been Ethiopia postponing its election, 500 prisoners freed in Kenya in order to curtail the spread of the virus within prisons, and Somalia's National University sending 20 volunteers to Italy to help fight corona. I mean, there is a switchover. What, what struck you this week?
1: Well, there are a number of things, really, both from politics, um, security, and indeed, what's happening in the, in the various economies of countries. I think, as you mentioned, the most important, I think, for me is the cancellation of the or the postponement of the elections uh, in Ethiopia and no new date set, unfortunately, yet. Um, but then you have uh, President uh, Magafuli in uh, Tanzania who's insisting that uh, October's presidential polls go ahead. Do you think that's just posturing at this
0: stage or do you think he actually means it?
1: I suspect he probably means it at this stage, but I think as we discussed last week, you know, everything is being thrown in the air by this uh, COVID-19, and I suspect as those elections come closer, there may be other very serious considerations that may force a postponement.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, and I think the pressure will mount up on, on him. I mean, he has been a, a maverick leader in so many ways. Um, in a way, him using the opportunity to, to 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 dig his heels in. Absolutely. Anything else that really stood out? I
1: mean, again, we talked last week about the leaders that um, you know we have uh, in in Nigeria, sort of septuagenarian leadership. <laughs> Um, but we are also seeing other leaders being tested. So President Masisi of Gaborone was um, released from isolation, having tested negative. But Zimbabwe's Emerson Menangagwa has reportedly tested positive. And again, a septuagenarian uh, leader in the vulnerable group of uh, v- people particularly vulnerable to this, uh, this disease. Thanks, Tara. <laughs>
0: You're listening to The Ark Insider with Karen Allen in Johannesburg and Tara O'Connor in London. Now, I want to pick up on a very interesting debate that's underway. Should Africa be following a different path to tackle COVID-19 then the World Health Organization's guidance on total lockdown. We have with us Professor Alexander Broadbent, who heads up the Institute for Future Knowledge at the University of Johannesburg. He's an expert in the philosophy of epidemiology and medicine. Now, you're the first guest on the podcast. We have to welcome you, Professor. And as we're very informal, you've told us we can call you Alex. Welcome to you. Thank
2: you. It's great to be here.
0: Whereabouts are you locking down from at the moment as we speak?
2: I am locked down uh, in a a suburb of johannesburg
0: the basic premise is that more people are likely to die of the harsh measures which you argue will lead to malnutrition and starvation for millions rather than people dying of covid itself um putting quite a controversial view out there just give us a little bit more
2: The concern I have is simply that uh, obviously everybody knows if you lock down that damage the economy, it could damage it a lot. Um, In the global north, that's being seen as a kind of a, you know, a a, a sort of slightly abstract thing. Stock markets go down. None of us has quite as much money and so forth. In this part of the world, it means um, people starve. Um, There are a lot of people who live hand to mouth. Um, It's hard to uh, exaggerate uh, the sort of day-to-day nature of that existence. Even in South Africa, which is actually technically a middle-income country, there are great disparities. It's the most unequal country in the world. A large number of people live hand-to-mouth. Casual laborers uh, depend on what they pick up each day. There are a lot of homeless people who depend on what's given to them uh, as people drive past each day. Um, And there are many people supporting at least one uh, family um, or an extended network. Um, Unemployment is extremely high. And uh, there is desperation um, about what people are going to do. And from the people I've been talking to elsewhere on the continent, the same applies there. It's a little different in rural areas where there's much more self-subsistence. But of course, that attracts people out of the cities into rural areas, which we know has happened in India. And is really not a great idea from the uh, perspective of spreading the disease.
0: But from a communications point of view, and simplicity has to be key... Isn't it, however imperfect, better that you have a blunt instrument to communicate the fact that people need to try to lock down, even if it is not entirely possible in every setting, as you say? Um, Because frankly... If you nuance it, it's going to be very, very difficult um, to manage, and the consequences really could be far more devastating.
2: Well, that's true, but I don't think this is a case uh, where we uh, need so much a nuanced uh, kind of lockdown. We, we don't actually, in my view, need lockdown at all in this part of the world. Uh, if you look at what China did, what was effective was not actually their lockdown so much as their prevention on travel and their regional quarantine. We still had a large amount of COVID nineteen in uh Wuhan and in Hubei, And then externally, um, relatively little. They you can't lockdown is ineffective without a track and trace process as well, which we don't have here.
0: Is there not a middle ground that you do have people in lockdown in the townships, but you try and have a programme that mitigates the effect of businesses not operating there? And in places like Nigeria and Kenya, we know there's a very vibrant informal sector um, where you have, instead of the kind of aid packages that we've seen going to businesses in the UK, for instance, to buttress businesses that are trying to limp on, that you have mass... Um, welfare payouts, if you like.
2: Um. Well, if you allow people to trade and to interact economically, uh, then obviously it isn't lockdown. Um, my, my suspicion would be that in the African region, you can do a regional quarantine approach, which was successful in China. Um, it's important to remember that what really works is not lockdown on its own, but lockdown with track and trace. So you've got to trace people, um, where they, where the disease does get out of your region. Uh, China did a regional quarantine. It did not do a lockdown. Um, and then they traced aggressively outside. Korea didn't lock down at all. They just used aggressive testing. So those things, of course, are also difficult in this context. Um, the point really is that the the threat um, posed by this disease is uh, relatively smaller in South Africa and Africa generally because um, the threats posed by other things are relatively greater. Um, The economic consequences of stopping the economy here are immediate and severe and get more and more severe. And economic consequences here mean health consequences. They mean people actually dying.
1: Thoughts, Tara? Tara? I mean, my understanding of what has what the thinking behind uh, deploying the army, and uh, certainly in South Africa's case, is really to be able to announce, um, to be able to deploy health workers to actually do the aggressive door-to-door mass screenings and to focus on high-risk areas. So, my understanding is that the government effort. Is going to be directed um, at those high-risk areas, and I wondered what you would think about uh, think about that.
2: Uh, door-to-door testing, obviously, is I, I think probably a good idea. Um, I don't think you need lockdown for that. Um, it would seem to me that a lot of the money that is being spent on security measures would be better deployed on medical measures, um, since they are ultimately what's going to make a difference here you know we're working from a position of assuming that lockdown is right because it's been done in the in the north and an, it appears effective up till now but it's clear that there was no consideration given to developing regions so when the measures were designed people just didn't seem to i mean if you go to the world health organization world health organization's website you can see people do not seem to have considered what to do in regions where uh, the costs are greater and the consequences are more serious. It's no use if you save 10 million deaths by COVID-19 and then 30 million people starve. That's uh, obviously shooting oneself in the foot.
0: Alex, Tara, we're going to have to leave it there. An absolutely fascinating discussion. Um, Alex Broadbent, Professor Alexander Braubent from the University of Johannesburg. Thank you very much. And I do think we need to invite you back in a few months' time, depending on the trajectory of this terrible virus, to see if some of the chickens that you've talked about have uh, come home to roost, or indeed, whether policymakers have decided to take up some of your ideas that you've been pushing forward. Very interesting to talk to you. Just one thing, Tara, I mean, in a way, this resonates a little bit with what we've been hearing
1: in the UK, absolutely. You've uh, there is a big, uh, a big push to say that um, that you know the cure shouldn't be worse than the disease. Um, in and yet we have only one example where you've got. We've um, only really got really one example worldwide where you've got both the economy not being so affected and uh, the a very successful battle against the disease, and that is South Korea. And South Korea did what it was advised to do. First of all, it had a plan that it put into action immediately, and it followed that uh, test, trace, treat strategy very aggressively using uh, you know, yes, invading people's personal privacy, which I think everybody would be happy to give up a little bit of if it, uh, if it didn't do so much damage.
0: Tara, we've got to wrap it up. Again, it's been great to talk to you on The Ark Insider. Please stay safe, continue to self-isolate and we'll do it again in a week's time. Very good to talk to
1: you, Karen. Thank you very much for this. And uh, I look forward to another uh, fascinating conversation next week. If you're interested, Tara's team at ARC
0: produces a daily chronology of events across the region, which you can sign up for at info at africariskconsulting, that's all one word, dot com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Goodbye.